0: Well, anyway, what me and Richard wanted to do, he's going to bring out some stuff that, that really proved some prophecy and so from where they were to, you know, what happened years ago. And like I said, history will repeat itself. It's just where you at in history, you're going to you're going to live something that's been repeated. And that's where we're at. It's just now what exactly are we going to be facing in the future? And that's the thing that we we need to look at. All right, Brother Richard. Shalom
1: alechem. This is the Megillah Esther. <laughs> what does the word Megillah Esther mean? The word Megillah does not just mean scroll; it comes from the word Megale, which means to uncover or to reveal, and the word Esther <laughs> means to conceal or to hide. So Megillah Esther literally means the revealing of a hidden miracle. So this is Esther's (laughs) prophecy. The ten sons of Haman and the ten sons of the Nazis. (laughs) Why did a 2,400-year-old Bible book terrify the Nazis? What would make the German leadership of the 1930s despised the Jewish people with such a hatred. There are various reasons given, here are a couple. There is a belief that the Jews back home were the reason that Germany lost the First World War. And this was known as the stab in the back legend. And the Germans were obsessed with blood. They believed that they were descended from Aryan, the Aryan people, the master race, and were superior. Therefore they, the Germans, should rule the world. The Jews were considered a subspecies and not worthy to mix with or live in German society. After the Nazis assumed power, anti-Semitism burst forth. In 1933 until 1938, over 400 anti-Semitic laws were passed. This hatred of the Jews appears to have had its beginnings far back in history, at least back to Persia and Haman. Even the godless Nazis knew the Bible, or at least they knew one particular book, Esther. (laughs) The message in that book contains a prophecy which created a fear within the Nazi leadership. That fear was so great that Hitler outlawed the reading of the book of Esther. This from the country that brought us the Protestant Reformation. The scroll of Esther Yehovah's name is not mentioned, but his presence is everywhere in the story. And there is an amazing prophecy buried in the original Hebrew. Summary highlights of the scroll of Esther. Haman was an Agagite, a descendant of King Agag and Amalekite. Haman wanted to exterminate the Jews in all 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. Haman sought and received a royal edict from King Ahashverosh to exterminate all the Jews. Haman cast lots, which is where we get the word parim, and the thirteenth day of the month of Adar was selected. Haman's treachery was revealed before that day by Queen Esther. <laughs> and he was hung on the gallows he had erected for Mordechai. The gallows were 50 cubits in height, or about 75 feet. They were up there. King Ahasuerus issued a second royal edict that the Jewish people could defend themselves against the planned pogrom. Why a second edict? Once a royal edict is issued and sealed by the king, it could not be rescinded. On the day of the attack, those killed in Shushan were 500 men plus the 10 sons of Haman and many more throughout the Persian Empire. In Esther, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, a benyamini, and cousin to Esther, is introduced. Then in Esther, chapter 3, verse 1, we are told that King Ahasuerus began to sing aloud Haman, the son of Hamdata, the Agagi, which is a descendant of King Agag, and Amalekite. There appears to be a connection between the descendants of Haman yeah. and the descendants of Mordechai. Yeah. Far back in scriptures. In First Samuel chapter 10, Shaul, or Saul, son of Kish, tribe of Benjamin, is anointed king of Israel by Samuel. It appears that Mordecai's ancestral line and King Saul's originate with the same ancestor, Kish. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul is commanded by Yehovah to go to war and exterminate the Amalekites, every man, woman, child, and all their animals so that nothing remains. King Saul did what Jehovah commanded him, but he did not do all of what he was commanded. He did not kill King Agag, and he kept some of the best animals for himself. King Saul's fate was sealed because he disobeyed Jehovah's commandments. There are some sages that teach because King Saul at Benjamite did not kill King Agag and Amalekite, as commanded by Jehovah, that these two peoples would meet again sometime in the future. After the Jews had defeated their attackers throughout the empire, King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther what her petition for her people would be. (laughs) He would grant her petition, whatever it was. In Esther, (laughs) chapter 9, 12 through 14, it says, And the king said to Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the capital, and the ten sons of Haman, Whatever your petition, it shall be granted you, and whatever your request further, it shall be done. Esther said, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews that are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according to this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. Queen Esther's request was odd, because the ten sons of Haman were already dead. Killed in battle. Why hang him? The ancient sages and rabbis teach that Esther's request was for a future time and so she was not addressing her husband the king, but she was addressing the king of kings. Let's look at the word tomorrow in Esther's request. The rabbis comment, there's a tomorrow that is now and a tomorrow which is later. In other words, Esther was prophesying that the hanging of Haman's Ten Sons would not be a single episode in history, but would be repeated at a future tomorrow as well. Who would these other ten men be? This is where the story leads us to Germany and the Nazis. Rabbi Eliash Lomo ben Zalman, a prominent Lithuanian rabbi of the 18th century, known as the Vilna Gaon, or the Genius of Vilna, held the belief that the German nation was descended from Amalek. If you read the book of Esther with an English translated Bible, you're not going to see what is obvious in the original Hebrew. Slide. In the original Hebrew, you'll notice at the first glance that the list of Haman's sons appears written in a prominent Peculiar manner. The left column contains the word ve'et with each of the sun's names in the right column. The vav is a connector with the meaning of and, and the et identifies the direct object, in this case, the sun. Some sages say that the word ve'et is used to denote replication. Thus, the conclusion is that another ten people are also to be hung in addition to Haman's ten sons. According to Nachmanides, known as Rambam, a leading 13th century Jewish doctor, scholar, and biblical commentator, in his commentary on Genesis, says that any change from the usual way of writing a word or letter indicates some hidden meaning in the text. So let's look at how some of the sons' names are written in the scroll. The Tav, in red, in the first son's name, Parshandata, is smaller than the other letters. The sheen in the seventh son's name, Pramashta, is also smaller than the other letters. And the Vav in Visata's name is also enlarged. When indicating uh, is also enlarged, OK, it's, it's smaller. I'm sorry. The Vav in the, uh, Visata's name is enlarged. That usually indicates a millennium. So. When indicating years in Hebrew, three letters are usually given. The fourth letter indicates the millennium. So the enlarged Vav in Vazata's name is thought to refer to the sixth millennium. As you know, every Hebrew letter is given a numerical value. Tav is 400, Shin is 300, Zion is 7, and Vav is 6. You add them up, you get 707, or the 707th year of the sixth millennium which written in the Hebrew style would be the year 5707, and in our Gentile calendar, 1946. Following the end of World War II, 22 Nazi leaders were tried for war crimes at Nuremberg. Starting on November the 20th, 1945, on October the 1st of 1946, 11 Nazis were sentenced to death by hanging. Normal military protocol, was firing squad or electric chair. The order to hang them fulfilled the prophecy of Queen Esther. (laughs) On October the 16th of 1946, in the early morning, the executions were carried out. Eleven were to be hung, but two hours before his execution, Hermann Goring committed suicide by cyanide. One of the defendants was a man named Julius Strecker, whose hatred of the Jews was legendary. As he was led or dragged to the gallows, he shouted, Heil Hitler, numerous times. As he was standing on the platform with the rope around his neck, he glared at the witnesses and shouted, Perimfest 1946. He understood the story of Haman's attempt to exterminate the Jews, and it was parallel to the Nazis' attempt to also exterminate the Jews. What's fascinating, is that they were sentenced on the 1st of October, 1946. And that year, it was between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur. And hanged on the 16th of October, 1946, the 16th was Hoshana Rabbah, Tishri 21, the last great day, which is considered the day of the sealing of the divine judgment. What makes this even more significant is that the trial had ended several months earlier, but the final verdicts had been postponed because the Nazis appealed for amnesty. Thus, all that was written in the scroll of Esther was fulfilled to the letter. The ten condemned men were hanged on a wood gallows, and the name of the executioner was John C. Woods. Some closing facts. We can conclude that Hitler must have known at least parts of the Tanakh because in a speech made on January the 30th, 1944, he made a connection between Haman and the Nazi regime. He said that if the Nazis were defeated, the Jews could celebrate a second Purim. Adolf Hitler ordered all synagogues locked and barred on Purim and later he even forbade the observance of Purim and declared it a capital offense to possess a copy of the book of Esther. (laughs) In a speech made on November the 10th, 1938, the day after Kristallnacht, which is the night of broken glass, when the Jewish synagogues and businesses were burned and destroyed, Nazi Jew hater Julius Strucker said, quote, the Jews butchered 75,000 Persians in one night. The same fate would have befallen the German people. Had the Jews succeeded in inciting a war against Germany, the Jews would have instituted a new Purim festival in Germany." Many attacks against the Jews coincided with Purim. In 1942, 10 Jews were hanged on Purim to avenge the hanging of Haman's 10 sons. In 1943, the Nazis shot 10 Jews from a ghetto on Purim. The information in the book As well as that encoded within the text of the book of Esther, is incredible. Only Jehovah in his wisdom could inspire these things to be recorded in the scroll of Esther and then cause them to come to pass more than two millennia later. Yet he tells us that he can do this in his word. The prophet Yeshua, or Isaiah chapter 46, 9 through 10, says, Remember the former things of old, for I am Jehovah, and there is no other. I am Jehovah, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The execution date of October the 16th, Hoshana Rabbah, is an important date. Take a look at it. According to the Mishnah, during the temple period, willow branches were leaned against the altar all around, and the priests would walk around the altar seven times while the people recited, Psalm 118, verse 25-26. Hoshiana, save us, please. I'd like to end this with that psalm proclamation. Ana Yehovah hoshiana. Ana Yehovah Hatslichana, yehovah. Berach nuchem Mibet Yehovah. Please, Yehovah, save us now. Please, Yehovah, prosper us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yehovah. We bless you from the house of Yehovah. And may the Elohim of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov fill each of you to overflowing with his grace, mercy, and blessings. Thank
0: you. Amen. That was awesome. Amen. So, on my little portion here is, you know, with what Richard was saying is, is when he had that, that story and it was written, we have to acknowledge that, guys, you can't make that up, okay? You just can't, not on, on these days and dates, and I know that a lot of times, you know, Tammy, uh, she, uh, a, a numbers person and a date person and a number and a date person and a Number and a date person. Uh, amen. And I know that. And I know a lot of you know that. <clears throat> but the thing is, is the reason why I believe that that's the, that portion that she has is something that I would gloss over. And, and we can't gloss these things over because then that's what we end up doing is, is we miss exactly what the Father has in these stories. Now, especially in the book of Esther... You know, as we were saying, you know, I'm going to say there's a Jewish girl and there's his cousin, Mordecai, okay. (laughs) But anyway, uh, how did you like that, Richard? It's it's a little difficult, isn't it? You You get to going. But anyway, in this story, you know, that is so important to us, it really, this year, this means more to me than it ever has before because of all the things that's unfolding and when you see how the father our heavenly father is so in tune with his people that not only did he have a message for them in that day he had a message he has a message for us this day amen and how things are so and like i said before history and that's why today they're trying to erase our history they're they're toppling statues they're in, in now they're renaming schools and they're doing all of these things trying to get history away from us because then they can turn around and try to control whatever they need to control. That's what they do. But the father is smarter than they are. Amen. And he is definitely smarter than we are. And that's why we need not to overlook what he has done, what he is doing and what he's going to yet to do, because that is so important. If you would, let's go to uh, the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 15. Now, I'm not going to naturally read all the scriptures in these 10 chapters, but I do just want to highlight some. And because, um, like I said it, at the beginning, from, from 15, 16, 17, and 18, um, and then we'll go jump down to verse 22. But what happens is, is. Yahweh always has instruments. He always has people that He calls and He chooses. And in this story, He chose Mordecai. And He chose Hadassah. Amen. He chose these two, and they happen to naturally be related. But He chose these two, not knowing what was going to happen in the future. So knowing that the Father chose Moses, and even though Moses was raised in the Egyptian household, He later left, and then He called him and brought him back. It's the same parallel with Yeshua. Yeshua was born in Israel. He went to Egypt, and then He called him back. You see how these stories are important in our life. But He has people as instruments for our deliverance. So in verse 15, I'm not going to read the Scripture. The last part of the Scripture, it says that Esther was winning favor... In the eyes of all who saw her, that's important, that she was winning favor. Now, I like to look at this book also as we as the bride of Messiah would be like Esther. Amen? That's right. That we would win favor for our Messiah, in Yeshua. Amen. Okay, and then in verse um, 17, it says, The king loved Esther more than all the other women. And we can see a tie in there because it's going to talk about virgins. And it says, And she won grace and favor in the sight more than all of the virgins so that she set, that he set a royal crown on her head and he made her queen instead of Vashti. And then he did this. He says, And the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants and it was called Esther's feast. He also granted... Now look, she must have been really good looking. And he must have really loved her because he, he reduced the taxes. And for a government official to do away with taxes, something's up. Because they like raising taxes, right, Dennis? I don't They don't like getting rid of taxes, most of them. So he said he granted remission of taxes to the providence, and he gave gifts. He had a stimulus package with his royal generosity. Okay, so he reduced the taxes, and he gave you or whatever they're supposed to give you, okay? So he had a stimulus package. So evidently, the king was definitely excited for her. And do you know that why was the king really excited about Esther? Because Yahweh put it in his heart to be excited about Esther. He knows what he's doing, amen? So then we're going to jump down to verse 22, and it says, And this came... To the knowledge, he was talking about this this plot was going against the king. And it said, this came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he told Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. Y'all tired yet? Okay, verse 23. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. That's right, hang them. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And so here I wrote this down. It's important because now Mordecai is now written down and recorded in a book. Are we written down and recorded in a book? We better be. Amen. Because there's going to be a book open one day. And this is important because he does not at this time, as we we well know because we've done this story before, he did not reward Mordecai at this moment. But he did write Mordecai down in the book. And this is why this is so important. So I just wanted to cover that scripture. Now let's go to chapter 3. And then, um, after these things, King Ahasuerus. Is that right? There you go, Ahasuerus. There you go. I was working with Richard back there. And he promoted Haman. <laughs> this is what I'm screaming. The Agite, the son of... See, anybody that's got the son of this guy right His first name is Ham. You know he's unclean. Okay, so he's Hamadatha. Uh, Okay, and he advanced him and he set him on his throne above all the officials that were with him. Guys, I just put this down here. I know we hate this, but Yahweh does things in big ways. He had to put him here to show the people that he is Elohim, even when they're in exile. He didn't put somebody else it was just going to let them continue on in their way of doing things. I'm talking about the Jewish people. Because they were already supposed to be coming out of exile, going back to Zion is where they were supposed to be going. But so many times, it's just like in Germany, they were told this is fixing to happen. This was rising up. You need to go back home. But they said, my family's here, my job is here. Yeah, for three years they were, they were warned. But they said, there's no way that this man is going to do this. And six million later, it's a travesty. Not only that, we talked about how he made Time Magazine, however that worked out. But he was responsible for 20 to 40 million people's death through war and all of this kind of stuff. So don't think that whenever the father is sending a signal in mourning, and here's the deal. The deal is, is who do you listen to? He always sends the prophets. But do you notice that in this story in the book of Esther? He didn't send a prophet. He didn't have a prophet here. So this is why it's important, because now when you don't have a prophet, what do we do? We have to fast and pray, get in our sackcloth and ashes, And the Holy Spirit is given to us today so that we can, as community, see what he's dealing with us. Look, do what, babe? And prophets. Yeah, he he still has his prophets. But what I'm saying in this story here, he didn't send a prophet. So what do you do? So this tells us that he still speaks to us even though he didn't send a prophet here. He still has instruments that he places. Now, we live in the state of Mississippi. The state of Mississippi and our laws are still pro Yahweh in a lot of the areas where a lot of the other states are again they're more pro Haman. You know, they're they're and this is what's happening in these states. Okay, so I'm just saying that Haman he got promoted because he was going to do something that's going to provoke and be able to set up Mordecai and Esther in their role in the future. Okay, in verse 2, we're not going to read the verse, but here's where uh, Haman, he gets all upset and all that because Mordecai would not bow down and pay homage to him. In chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman. Now, these these are Mordecai's friends, and these are his accomplices, and what are they trying to do? You need to get with the program. You need to bow down to the system. This is the way the system set up. The king put Haman in charge of all of us, and he gave give him his signet ring, and so guess what? Obey the law. Don't be kicking against... Because Mordecai, he knew who Haman was, and he knew where he was from. So he would not bow down to him. This is where we have to know When are we to go along with what is protocol is set before us and what we're not to go? We need to know what's happening. And guess what? And do not think that these people won't tell on you when you don't bow to the system. That happened to him. happened to Mordecai. They went and told Haman. In order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand... For they had told him that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage to him, Mordecai was filled with joy? No, he was filled with fury. Verse 7. Yeah, Haman was filled with fury. Verse 7. In the first month, which was the month of Nisan, in the twelfth, in the king of Ahasuerus, they cast purr. That is, they cast lots. Before Haman, day after day, and they cast it for month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. All right, verse 8. This is important. This verse, we capitalize on this verse because this is so important. Then Haman says to the president of the United Nations, <laughs> really, that's right, boo, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among your peoples and all the providence of your kingdom. Their laws are different than those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws. So that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. This is... Did he not just read that? He read that, and that's what happened in 1938, 1937 in Nazi Germany. It has happened in the 1400s in Spain, in Ferdinand and Isabel, whenever they had the Spanish Inquisition, when they kicked them out. Guys, this this repeats all the time, and it is now repeating. Whenever we had a president, a couple of presidents ago, who sit and stood up at his first address and said, we're no longer a Christian nation, but we're a nation of Muslims, Jews, and Christians, what he did was is he was saying, you are a people that now are contrary to these laws. And we have, our, we have this book, and they're trying to, with this socialist communists, and all of this is happening, we're on a collision course. Of our faith. And what they're trying to do in changing this nation. This is what happened here. It's the same thing. It, they don't, there's different characters. But it's the same scheme that Satan has. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. So he went to the king and he told him that. And then he says, you know, in verse 9 he says, If it pleases the king, let it be a decree that they be what? Destroyed. And then he's going to pay him some money, and you can put it in the treasury. Verse 10, it says, So the king took his signet ring, which you know what that means, from his hand, and he gave it to Haman, the agite, the enemy of the Jews. So you see that the father, now you would think, why is the father allowing this? The father is allowing this to see, are we going to honor his ways or not? Or are they going to bow to the system? But here's the thing, there's no bowing to the system here. Now the system's going to kill you. Remember when we talked about in, in uh, Hanukkah, assimilation. That's what assimilation does. You assimilate, and you can worship Yahweh and their gods. In other words, you just worship everything. You don't just go to the donut shop and get a great apple fritter. You've got to get some that's got frosting on it and it has sprinkles. You've got to make everything look good for everybody. But Yahweh's not in that. He has a set of laws and a set of rules for a reason. Because he knows us. And he knows that if we're left to ourselves, I mean, look at everybody in here. We don't all agree with everybody in the way we do things in here. But the Father is saying, but if we will all get together and agree this is what we're going to do, then we can be in a cod. That's how you're in a cod with one another. Said We all agree that we're going to do it his way. Because if we sit there and throw this out and say, okay, let's just have a meeting and let's see what we want to do, everybody's going to have an opinion where you think everything ought to be run. That's the way, it, it's just the way it is. So the father says his rule and we're going to do it his way. So Haman's going to try to destroy him. He sets it, that's right. He gives him his ring and he says this in verse 11. The king says to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also. Do with them at seem, what seems good to you. It happened before, it will happen again. Do not think that this won't happen again. Esther chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out in the midst of the city, and he cried out, with a loud bitter cry this is what he started doing this is what we always say let's pray about it more than we talk about it it wouldn't have done anything if, if Mordecai would have turned around and said let's have a committee meeting I wouldn't have done a bit of good Mordecai went into the streets south 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 how can he say it sackcloth and ashes and he started crying out to the father he humbled himself and that's what we've been doing and that's what we're going to continue to do in this land that that we're in, that we're going to continue to humble ourselves and pray that righteousness in this land that we live will prevail. Amen? And we will continue to do that. It's up to the Father to be able to put things in order. I wish things were not as the way they are now, but I can promise you I know they wished it wasn't in the way it was back in the book of Esther because they're actually facing annihilation. Because you know as well as I do whenever a king, and, and, and uh, Richard read that, when a king gives a decree, he can't take it back. There has to be something else done. So when he says that you can kill him, guess what? If anybody wants to rise up on that day to kill him, that they can. So we see in verse one that there was fasting and prayer. Verse two really comes the famous verse of what Mordecai tells Esther, and it says this in verse 13, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, and relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and that's a promise, but you and your father's house will perish, And who knows whether you may not have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is why this verse, I call it the the famous verse. Because we never know what our time in history will be. But I will tell you this, you cannot, when it comes time, to stand up and say, will you denounce Yeshua? The answer is emphatic, no. Because the thing is, if you think that you can denounce him and then later repent because you don't want to go through whatever you go through, he's even telling Queen Esther, you're the queen. But just do not think that even in your position, you can hide where you're at because Yahweh sees all. And when Yahweh... played, Now, they didn't know this. I don't believe they knew this more than anything in the world. They didn't know that Mordecai and Esther was placed there for the deliverance of the people until this revelation now is coming to Mordecai. And says, who knows now? I mean, think of the odds of a Jewish girl, Hadassah, this little girl, her parents has died, he's been raised by her cousin, they're they're out in, they're just, I mean, we're talking just out in the city somewhere in Susa, just doing their little thing, and now, all of a sudden, she's queen. I mean, she's not just in the king's court. She's queen. And with queen, she packs a punch. Whenever the children of Israel come out of, into captivity, they come out of uh, Israel, they go into uh, Nebuchadnezzar's land, Never Never Land. And what does he do? He makes Daniel second or third in charge. The father knows what he's doing. Even though we really, I'm telling you, Daniel didn't know what he was doing at that moment. But Daniel made a stand. The three Hebrew children made a stand of saying, whether we die or whatever, it doesn't matter. The father places us sometimes in hard situations so that he can shine. The three Hebrew children, they said, you know what? We're not bowing to that idol. When you blow that trumpet, you can blow it till your lungs give out. We're not bowing to that idol. But you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar? It wasn't the three men in the fire that got his attention. It was the fourth man in the fire that got his attention. That's our hope, to know that no matter what we come against, we have to be placed sometimes in a situation to where Yahweh can show up on the scene for the people that think they know and run and everything, can see the glory of Yahweh in this place. It's not to the glory of the three Hebrew children, it's the glory of the fourth man that was in the fire. And so that's what the beauty of this whole book is, is it doesn't have to be that he sent a prophet on this time. He sent his spirit to brood and, and to maneuver like a chessboard and set everybody up like they need to be set up to show his self mighty for a deliverance. Not just for them. But for me and you today, for the Jewish people back during the time of Hitler, during the time of the Second World War, you can see this. We need to recognize this. Where am I at? So they went through, okay, and then um, verse 16. What she told him to do is, is we're going to have a three day fast. Have you ever noticed the word three days are always in the Scripture? Hosea, two days, and then on the third day, he always says prepare yourself before you go up to the mountain on three days, three days. Guys, we're in that third day, prophetically. However you want to match it, all these three days. There's something about these fasts that Halisa and them teach that I, I need to really grab a hold of. Because there's something so important, because a lot of these fasts are pointing towards something in these end times. And we need to grab that. In chapter 5, it says, On the third day, Esther, verse 1, put on a royal robe and stood in the inner court in the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside of the throne room opposite of the entrance of the palace. Verse 2, And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter with his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the scepter. Because, see, she had made up her mind in that fasting, I'm going to go to the king, and if I die, I die. And that has to be our resolve in what we do as believers. Because we are not our own anymore. We're not our own. And it should be an honor to die for him. Because you know why he died for me and you. And this is the thing that we need to look at in these stories Because denying him, I'm telling you, if you deny him when the rough times come, it's easy, you know it's easy when times are good to sit here and say, yes, I'm a believer. But when you're facing the atrocities, and look, there's people in China today, even the Muslims are facing atrocities from the Chinese today. They're being tortured. Christians there, believers there are being tortured. There's people all over this world being tortured. And we can sit in here, we can celebrate. We have not been touched like these people has been touched. There's one thing that the United States does. They usually keep the wars off of our land. They usually fight the wars overseas. But guys, the wars are coming to the inner cities. The wars are already in the cities where people are burning people down, burning their businesses. And nobody's doing, the government people, they're not doing anything about it. Because they are afraid. This is what they call it, council culture or culture, count, whatever they call that mess. The thing about it is, is people are elected for government. They need to stand up and do, the Constitution is plain. When you stand up there and you say, I'm going to abide by the Constitution, that's what you do. What does it say? Just like me as a pastor, this is what I stand by is this book. I don't have opinions outside of this book. I know I got some opinions. I don't mean that. But I'm just saying this. Whenever somebody asked a biblical question, I'm going to give you a biblical answer to the best of my understanding. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not okay to do this in your case. There's never that. That's for you and the Father to pray about if there's certain things. But Shabbat is Shabbat. Amen? There's no, well, you know what? I come into this new revelation that Shabbat is on Saturday, so I need to pray about it. No, you don't need to pray about it. Because he's not going to change. You're not going to change his word by praying about that. What you need to do is, is pray that, you know what? You're going to come under heavy persecution when you go from Sunday to Saturday. And that's just the way it is. So you need to pray how you're going to handle the persecution. Because it's coming. Because of all of your, your good best friends and all of these people that love you, they're going to turn you into Haman. Boo, that's what, that's what they did there. When Mordecai makes a decision... Haman's going to... They're going to turn you into him. Just the way it works. So you see that she goes in there. She finds favor. And then they end up having a feast. There was Another area I want to get to. I thought this was so comical. Let's go to chapter 5. So she tells Esther, you know, so... King says, what do you want? She says, I want to have a feast. I want you and Haman to come. We're going to have a a roast. But y'all don't know. Okay, verse 9. So when Haman hears this, he says, he went out joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Guys, we're not not to tremble. See, Haman, he saw that Mordecai was not afraid of him. And he didn't tremble or anything. He didn't bow before him. And it infuriated. All of a sudden, Mordecai just happens to be at the gate? No. He was there for a reason. Yahweh made sure he was at that gate. Because Yahweh is setting up the scene. Verse 13, let's skip down there. It says, he's talking about, he's he's mad. The wrath is there. It says, yet all of this is worth nothing to me. The feasting and the festivals and Esther and uh, the king himself has called me. Just me and the king is going to be there. I mean, I am it on a stick. And then all of a sudden, here he comes in and all of this being an it on a stick doesn't mean anything because of this sorry Mordecai, who's sitting in the king's gate. So in verse fourteen, now this is where the wicked lamp, the wicked lamp comes in with counsel, it says. Then his wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, "Now, the wife and all of his friends, let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning." Tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the, key, to the king to the feast. we the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had a gallows made. And it's like what Richard mentioned earlier. He didn't just have gallows made. They were 75 feet tall. This is for, was for everyone to see what was happening. So his wife and all of his friends counseled him to go the next day in the morning to the king. Yahweh's listening. Because in chapter 6, verse 1, what's happening the night before the morning? Whoa, on that night, the king couldn't sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book. Remember we talked about Mordecai was written in the book? Amen. He was written in the book. We better be written in the book because when the king opens the book, this shows a lot of prophetic to us in our end times, okay? I just want to bring these little nuggets out. But it was to bring out the book of the uh, memorial deeds, I'm sorry, the chronicles, that they read before the king. Now let's jump down to verse 11 because all of the stuff was read to him and he didn't fall asleep. You know that Mordecai was there and he says, what did I ever do for Mordecai? And he said, you didn't do a thing for him. He says, okay, what do we need to do? So Haman just happens to show up. and He says, Haman, come in here and he tells Haman the story. Now naturally, Haman is there to ask, For Mordecai to be hanged on the gallows. But when the king says, I want to honor somebody, pride becomes what? Before the fall. So instead of letting your request be known, you think you're so vain, you think this song is about you. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That's right, you. You so vain. So he stops in his request and says, man, this is good because the king wants to honor me. Amen. So Mordecai is sitting in the wings and Haman, he's just letting the song be, he just wrote the song in the verses. And the king says, that's what you need to do, but you're going to do it to a man named Mordecai. Verse 11, so Haman took the robe and the horses and he dressed Mordecai and he led him through the square in the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. But when he said that, he thought it was about him. So you know it may, you don't think he wasn't humiliated. You know he was humiliated. I'm going to ask to hang and kill this man and now. I'm parading him around on a horse with the king's robes and the king's crown on the king's horsey. Horse. I did that for the little ones. They know what horsies are. Verse 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered with a big old keeper. Thirteen. Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. I put down here, what? You told me what I should do. I came to you. You gave me all of this great wisdom to go bill a gallows and go in there and tell the king what needs to be done. And I agreed to you, oh wife and all of my friends. And now you're going to say that because I'm riding him out on a horsey, And then all of a sudden you're going to tell me, oh, if he's of Jewish descent, now I'm beginning to fall. And now, be careful the counsel you get. Amen? Because he got very unwise counsel. But now the truth's coming out. Now listen here, this is why this is important. Now that was verse 13. They just told him that. While they were yet talking with him. That means they were right now talking. They were still explaining to him his demise. While they were yet talking with him, the king's units arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Guys, when judgment starts, while you yet are talking, it starts. This is the deception when people think, I have time. We don't, that's why we need to make sure that we're lined up with His Word, with Yahweh, and we need to make sure that things are lined up. Because whenever destruction comes and whenever time comes, it's always going to be while you're yet talking, you're going to be hurried out to a feast. What happens to the ten virgins? They were all asleep. And while they were sleeping, the bridegroom came. Well, I'm sorry, the trumpet came, the announcement, and five had to go. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. And they were taken to the feast. This is why all of this is important. I believe that this is important in here to let you know that whenever destruction comes to the wicked, it comes swiftly. It looks like they're prospering. Haman had the signet ring. Y'all can boo. He had the signet ring. He had all the authority. He was was second in charge. But yet, what happens is, is, he let his pride and he let all of that mess him up. But Yahweh knew the man. He knew, just like Pharaoh. He knew Pharaoh. He knew his heart. He knew how to push the buttons. And he pushed the buttons. Mordecai didn't do anything, he just stood there, not trembling. He didn't bow. He didn't fuss him. He didn't stick his tongue out at him. He didn't do anything. But because he wouldn't bow, there was something there, and they're saying, everybody's bowing to you, Haman. Why can't you make him? And it made him look weak. So he had to force... Yahweh knew that. He knows the pride of men and what pushes them. Richard brought that out about um, the guy that got hung. What's his striker? Striker. But do you know... It wasn't just Hitler. He had wise counsel from all of these men that hated these Jews. That's what started a lot of this stuff. It wasn't just one man that said, I just decided to hate somebody. It was a whole group of them that surrounded him. He surrounded himself with people that told him what to do, their counsel. And he took to that and he heeded that and it bit him. Same thing that happened here where are your friends whenever they give you the counsel like that? And all of them were home. Anyway, I'm going to start closing it down. Because you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story ends up being that with all of that happened in chapter 7, Esther, she revealed to him that it was Haman that was the enemy of the people, of her people. And it says the king was filled with wrath. And then after uh, the, the units come up here, and, or his helpers come up here, and what am I to do with Haman? And he says, hey, he built some gallows. He says, well, hang him on it. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times in our life, the things that we do is what we hang ourselves with? A lot of times we hang ourselves with our very words. We hang ourselves with our very actions. The father and him, they don't have to build new gallows. They don't have to do new things. A lot of times we build things, and we build these towers in our life and they end up falling on us because we think they're they're so great. But anyway, he's hanged. Haman is hanged. Amen to that. And so what ends up happening is is we now know that the decree would not be... um, Taken away. So he said. Well then you're going to have to do. I'll allow you to fight. Y'all know the story. So he was able to write into these decrees. And they were able to defend themselves. And I like what it said down here. And I'll just read this. And Esther 9. In verse 1. And I'll finish with verse 1 and then 16. These two. It says now in the 12th month which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king commanded, or commanded an edict, were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain majesty over them. The reverse occurred. Yeshua hung on that cross to reverse the curse. Amen. When we think that death is imminent, Yahweh sent a Savior for us, to, and a reverse occurred. He told Adam, in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. That happened. Yeshua reversed the curse. Amen. You can see so much in here. So you see a reverse that occurred here. The Jews gained majesty over those who hated them. And in verse 16, it says, Now the rest of the Jews who were in the kingdom's providence also gathered to defend their lives. They got relief. From their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of those who hated them. Listen what it says. But they laid no hands on the plunder. See, what happened before, the curse was, you can kill the Jews and you get all their plunder. But here, they didn't take the plunder because the battle's his. The victory's ours. We don't need their stuff. Yahweh is all we need. I love that. And that's what's going to happen in the end. We're going to win this battle. We're going to have this victory. And the thing is, is we don't need their plunder. Because he's got something better for us. Amen. And that's this story that he has for us. Amen.